Hello and welcome to the Houston Vineyard Podcast. We sincerely hope that this message is a blessing to you. Enjoy. Good morning. I think we need to address something before we get started. It's my haircut. Um, I, I wanted to find a barber because the person I normally go to left where they were at and, and I found a barber and I sat down in the chair and I told them what I wanted, but it's the kind of barber shop where all the chairs are pointed away from the mirrors and you sort of talk to each other. And at the end, I turned around and it was this with just like a little bit of a, like an inch of hair here. And I was like, oh no. Um, and I went home and my 14 year old, which by the way, Middle schoolers going into high school, they're mean. <laughs> he just stood up, pointed, and laughed. <laughs> and then my youngest ran away almost with tears. Danya said, why did you do that? And my middle child just went, don't come near me. Uh, so I just wanted, and somebody asked, like, are you going to go, like, you're never going to go back there again. I'm like, oh, no, I'm going to go back. It's an excellent haircut. The problem wasn't the haircut. The problem is that I asked for this and didn't know it. <laughs> like I went in and I got confused because I haven't had to ask for what I want because I've had the same person cutting my hair for a while. And I walked in and I said, I want it high and tight with as long on the top as makes sense. That's what they did. And he did a great job. I'll go back. I'll just be better I will be better able to communicate what I was really looking for, which was like a fade, and then as long, but anyways. So please, judge me quietly <laughs> and under your breath. I'm at an age where that if a haircut like this means a couple things, and none of them are good. <laughs> so, thank you. I saw Reg last night, he's like, well, there's a, there's a message in that. I'm like, I really wish that God would stop using my life for messages for others of like, look, if you want to, you're not as screwed up as Josh is. He went and asked for that. I'm excited. Uh, this series in Ezekiel has been um, really good. I thought it was going to be good. It's been better than I expected it to be because when you're sort of tackling an Old Testament book, and especially these major prophets, uh, it, it can be challenging. It's challenging to navigate a lot of language that is difficult and, and histories that are complicated. And, and God has shown up in our study of this. For me personally, and I think for us as a community, in a real way. And so as we, we look to close out this, this series and move into the next series, uh, this, you know, our Summer of Wonder, our Wonder series, I'm expectant of what God might have for us. Uh, right before we started this morning, you know, people were starting to file in, and I grabbed Carla Abigail, and we were talking, and I said, do you feel what's happening in the room? Like, there's an expectancy. And it's, some of it is about being back in the same room together, and some of it is about life feeling better than it has in a long time. But I think it goes beyond that. I think we've all gone through uh, sort of this year, and more than a year, where the things that used to comfort us in some ways have been stripped away. Some of the places we found identity have become challenging. 
And the places that we didn't have identity before have tried to make themselves a priority. I think there's an expectancy of what God might want to do in our lives as we realize that there's very little that satisfies and that very little is him and his presence and his purpose for our lives and his goodness. That's, that's it. That's the little that satisfies and it's more than enough. So pray, let's pray and then we'll jump in. We're going to be in Ezekiel 47 if you want to get there ahead of me. Father, you're good, exceedingly good. And we thank you. We thank you for your word, which is alive and applicable to our lives. We thank you for the incredible sacrifice that is your son Jesus and how it is through his life and death and resurrection that your word takes its proper perspective in our lives. Holy Spirit, we recognize that you're here. We can feel your presence and we know that you're here in this room. You're here where people are watching. We acknowledge your presence and we ask that you would speak to us. We ask that you would speak words of comfort or conviction where they're needed and we ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. All right, before we get into chapter 47, I'm just going to give a little bit of context. Uh, so Danya spoke about the bones last week, which is an amazing imagery that we get. And then in chapter 40, Ezekiel is sort of led by God to this place of seeing what God has for his people and this vision of restoration. And it's, it's not just restoration. It's actually building a new on an old foundation, that has been sort of brought down to its very basic, this is the foundation, you have very little left, and I am going to build something new. And so everybody that was thinking, okay, we're going to rebuild things, God's essentially saying, yeah, okay, we're going to restore things, but it's going to be new. We're going to build something new. We're not just going to try to piece together the brokenness of what has happened and, and cobble it together so it resembles what used to be. He's saying, I'm going to build something new for you that is better than you could have imagined. And he goes through this deep, deep, deep dive into the specifics of the temple. And essentially, he's giving Ezekiel this message for the people of a new order for their lives. So with the details of the temple, then he goes into, this is what the chambers are. In verse, starts in 40, and you just keep going through this. And, and then here's what the divine glory looks like. When the return of the divine glory comes to the temple, this is what it looks like. And then here's what uh, purification looks like. And here's the, the altar and the gate. And he's like, going through all of the symbolism of what the temple will be. Then he talks to them about the order of their lives as far as their gifts. Like, what gifts do you bring to the temple? What are the offerings? How do you live your life? How do you posture yourselves for this new reality? And it is amazing. The thoughtfulness of God to say, okay, you guys have been a disaster. And you've paid the consequences of your own selfishness and your own disconnection from the heart of God. But here's my heart for you. Not only that you get to go back to something that sort of resembles what it used to be. But there's something brand new that has not only the history of where you've been with me, but a future that's greater than your past. Something profoundly gracious from God who has watched the people just do everything but honor him and love him. 
He says, and not only am I going to show you what this looks like, I'm going to give you the tools so that you can not only enjoy it, but maintain and preserve it. Your posture of your heart. Here's what offerings look like. Here's what gifts look like. Here's what celebration looks like. Here's what worship looks like. Here's what everything looks like. Point by point by point. Millimeter by millimeter. And this is what this is for. And it's just in case you forgot. We're doing all of this. It's incredibly gracious. And then here's your daily offerings. And then we get to chapter 47. And something in chapter 47 all of a sudden points to something that nobody has experienced or has context for. And it's this very prophetic imagery of what is to come. And so if we go there, we we see that they've done, Ezekiel has heard all about the temple, all about the people, all what they're supposed to do. And then in 47, he says he was, God brought him back to the temple's entrance. So he's done all of the exploration which is great. Like God walked him. Okay, this is going to be here. This is going to be here. This is how you're going to do this. He's like, he's setting it out for his people. Then he says, he came back to the entrance and I noticed that water was flowing towards the east from under the temple's threshold. The temple faced east. The water was going out from under the temple's facade toward the south, the south of the altar. He led me out through the north gate and around the outside of the outer east gate where the water flowed out under the facade on the south side. With the line of his hand, the man went out towards the east. When he measured off 1,500 feet, he made me cross the water. It was ankle deep. He measured off another 1,500 feet and made me cross the water. It was knee deep. He measured off another 1,500 feet and made me cross the water, and it was waist high. He measured off another 1,500, and he made me cross, but I couldn't, essentially. It had become a river that I couldn't cross. The water was high and deep enough for swimming, but too high to cross. There's this incremental increase in the depth and the power and the effect of the river. And you're going, like, well, that's interesting. First of all, there's a lot of math in that. Like some people go, I don't want, I didn't come to church to hear about 15 feet in east and west. It's like just, that's what I have maps for on my phone. But if we separate the numbers and the directions, east, west, north, if we separate that for a second, and I, I, some of you are going to like study this and know this, and there's some profound truths in this, and there's some, you know, secrets that will be unveiled for you, please do that. But I want to talk about the river for a second. In verse 6, he says to me, human one, do you see? Then he led me back to the edge of the river. And when I went back, I saw very many trees on both banks of the river. He said to me, these waters go out to the eastern region, flow down to the steep slopes, and go into the Dead Sea. When the flowing waters enter the sea, its waters become fresh. What he's saying is, everywhere this river goes, life follows. Everywhere this river flows, life follows. And not only life, but like abundant life. There are not trees on one side, there's trees on both sides. When the waters hit the Dead Sea, the Dead Sea comes to life. 
Everywhere the river flows, there's life. And at increments, that the farther it gets away from the temple, the deeper and more profoundly powerful it is. This is a revolutionary idea for a people that saw the temple for what it was, holy ground. Who saw the temple as the center of not only their their faith and their relationship with God, but their culture as a whole, where life happened. It was the centerpiece of everything. And here what he's saying is there's a river that's going to flow from this. And the farther it gets away from the center of all your life, the more powerful, the more deep, and the more life you will see. He's talking about Jesus. I mean, Ezekiel is hearing the words for the people that point to Jesus. That say there is something coming that out of this temple that will touch the world in such a profound way that everywhere it goes, it gets better and better and better. Everywhere it goes, it gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And you'll know how powerful it is because everywhere the river flows, life will just come out of the ground. I I often sort of like try to put myself in scripture. You guys do this? If you're reading something, you sort of put yourself in the narrative. One of the things I've I've been challenged with just from my own perspective, you know, like I am uh, what I am. Like my experiences are my experiences, but I I happen to be uh, a male by the haircut you, very macho, apparently I'm, I happen to be American, I was born here, right, apparently, there's nothing that proves otherwise, I mean, I, I, I trust my parents so, if they said it, they were there. That's where I... You were born in Texas. I was born in Texas. Did you... That's... Yeah. Listen. Yeah. Not many people know that. Uh, yeah, I was born in Dallas. Lived, like, just a couple months and then up to the East Coast. Um, but, yeah, I was born here. So, this is home? I, I don't... Sure. My, my, my experience is rather singular. Now, I have shared experiences with others. I have ways in which I have seen the world through the lens and the viewpoint of other people because I have chosen relationship. And if you choose relationship, and if, if you choose it from a place of humility, it means you listen. And if you listen without judgment or without comparison to your own story in a way which says, well, your story can't be right because that's not my experience. If we live in this place of humility where we hear other people's perspective, uh, we get a broader view of the world. But my experience is still pretty singular. And so when I put myself into Scripture, oftentimes I put myself from my own perspective into Scripture. And so being who I am... I tend to put myself into scripture in the place of the hero. Anybody else? 
man, there's like, there's every, every couple weeks I'll say something and I'll, you guys will look at me and I'm like, man, they are judging me. No, <laughs> I, I tend to put myself in the place of the hero or the victim. Those are the two places I put myself in the, in the context of Scripture. I very rarely, if ever, and never unintentionally, place myself in Scripture as the bad guy. It's just not how I do it. I mean, like, it's my, I never go, oh yeah, I am the bad guy. Even if I am Zacchaeus, I'm post-conversion Zacchaeus. I'm never like the, the, the sort of the cheating coward in the tree. I'm always the guy that just gives everything away because of Jesus. And so when I look at scripture and I'm trying to put myself in, in the story, uh, I, I have a tendency, if I'm looking at Ezekiel, to put myself in the position of Ezekiel. Right? As the prophet that speaks these things. But in this case, I, I want to take a second and put myself in the place of the people of God who have just paid dear, dear consequences for their own sin. Nobody, they didn't, this didn't happen to them. This was a direct result of their decisions. And they paid really steep consequences. And they are now hurt and they are scared, and there is trauma, and, and there is stuff to deal with. And not only with inside themselves, but with God. Because regardless of why they're paying the consequences, God is still God. And he didn't lift, like, lift his hand to pull them out of the consequences prematurely. And so there's this issue that if I'm in this story, I'm having issues with the pain of what I've just gone through. And we can relate, right? We've just went through, we're going, pandemic. That's pretty painful. There's some trauma there. And, and I, I, then I, I hear this message, and I'm trying to put myself in this position. And I see the restoring of the temple, and I think that's good. That's great. And that alone is a comfort. But the river, that's a whole new ballgame. The river's a whole new ballgame for me if I'm hearing this. See, because the temple can somehow get me back to the life that I had before all the chaos. But the reality is it will never fulfill me the way it did before because I've been through some stuff. I've been through some trauma. I've paid a price. I've felt abandonment. I've felt alone. I've reacted in ways I'm not content with. I've had to be confront my own stuff. You can't tell me that we're walking through this and the people of God are walking through it and they pay the consequences. That somebody is not sitting there going, man, why did I choose this for a momentary pleasure when this is so horribly ugly? So I hear it, it's like, man, the river changes everything. Because even if I have the temple, and even if I go back, and even if it's beautiful, I'm changed. And I need something that goes farther, that gets deeper, that breathes life everywhere it goes. That gives me hope. If I put myself in the story, I go, I don't want the hope of a return to what I had. 
I need the hope of something better than I can imagine. I believe it's as God is speaking this prophetically over his people through Ezekiel, I think he's prophetically speaking it over his people on earth now. In a lot of ways, everything that we had has been up, the upheaval of everything that has happened in the last 18 months has left us shaken. Not everybody. Some of you are like, you guys talk about this. I'm doing great. Congratulations. You're the exception. So when God is speaking about rebuilding, he's saying, I'm going to build something new. And the new is going to reflect what the past held, but it's got a, it's got a bonus here. And not only is the bonus life everywhere, but it's, the bonus is that it just keeps getting better and better and better. The farther away from the old, safe temple it gets. Say, like, it's great that the temple here, it's going, to be, it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be better than the last temple. You're going to have a profound relationship with God here. You're going to meet with him. You're going to have community. You're going to do all these things. But the farther away it gets, the better it gets. And I go, man, that, there's something incredibly profound about that. If we look at it, we see the source of the river in the first two verses, and then the depth and the width. We, we talk about this in verse three through five, and then the power of the river, the restoring power of the river, and the healing and saving power of the river are what comes next. And it says this. We'll go back and start in nine. Whenever the river, wherever the river flows, every living thing that moves will thrive. There will be great schools of fish because when these waters enter the sea, it will be fresh. Wherever the river flows, everything will live. Wherever the river flows, everything will live. People will stand fishing beside it from a couple names that I'm not even going to try to pronounce. And it will become a place for spreading nets. It will be like the Mediterranean Sea having all kinds of fish in it. Its marshes and swamps won't be made fresh. They will be left for salt. But on both sides of the river will grow up all kinds of fruit-bearing trees. Their leaves won't wither and their fruitfulness won't wane. They will produce fruit in every, mount, in every month because their water comes from the sanctuary from the intimate place, from the profound place of presence, from the place of complete surrender and commitment and dedication to the God of his people. Their fruit will be for eating and their leaves for healing. The imagery of that, that wherever the river goes, not only does life pop up everywhere. But it is life that produces fruit. And not just fruit to look at or smell, but to eat. It sustains life. And not only does it sustain life, but the leaves bring healing. And then from 13 on, it goes into the boundaries that God has established for this. And they are bigger than the boundaries that God has ever had for his people. 
You see, in the heart of God, expressed through the prophet Ezekiel to a people that have gone through trauma, some of it by their own making, he promises a future that is better than anything the past could have offered and better than anything they could have imagined. And here's what I love about the heart of God. And it's not just for them. He doesn't promise a river that flows in and out of the temple and just makes everything great in the temple. He promises the river that goes everywhere. And the farther out, the deeper it gets, and the deeper it gets, the wider it gets, and the wider it gets, the stronger it gets. And then by the time it reaches the Dead Sea, life can't help but sprouting out everywhere. It's the imagery of Jesus. It's the imagery of Jesus and the power and working of the Holy Spirit that wherever Jesus goes and the Spirit of God is moving, life is going to happen. And not just for us. Not just for the people of God, for all people. See, my hope is never in the fact that God will restore what was lost. It's, I know he will restore what is lost. My hope is that what is to come is so full of him that it will surprise me about how good it is. And not just for me, but for the world. See, there's this representation of, of glory and joy and the presence of God that transforms everything it comes in contact with. Everywhere the river touches, life cannot help but spring up. Even if it's dead already. And even the places that are not touched by that water and that are like salty, they actually convert into traps for salt, which is good for us. Seasons things. So everything that comes close to it produces something for the people of God and those around them. Imagine now for a second how that feels if you put yourself in the position of people that have just been through some stuff. They've just been through some pain, some loss, who have suffered anxieties that they never knew existed that felt like some of them aged in ways that they were not ready for, that have traumas that they're dealing with, and others that are so happy about things that they feel guilty. And you almost have to be secret, secretive, like, ah, hey, I'm doing great. Don't let anybody know. A people that, even though the temple is appealing... They've seen how the temple could become a symbol of relationship with God without the actual relationship. And there might be a little bit of anxiety about going back to a temple that they took, that they didn't take, that they took for granted for a long time. That they, supplement, like they, 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 they supplemented their relationship with the temple for a relationship with God. And saying, okay, like the temple's great, but we've got issues with the temple. We've not done great with this. And to think, okay, it's not just the temple, but it's rivers that flow out of it. 
and understanding that the person and the work of Jesus is that river. And not, not only were they right, they were right, in, not only was this, is this true, but it's true in ways we couldn't even imagine. Not only is there life that flows from the person and work of Jesus and the working and the power of the Holy Spirit to animate life everywhere it goes, but that it has gone farther than we could have ever imagined. And that the life that has sprung up is richer and deeper and more fruitful than we've ever seen. If I'm a person that's sitting in the story, if I put myself in that place, I start to get a bit excited. Not because I don't have stuff to work through. Not because I still uh, am going to, not because I won't have to have a conversation with God that says, okay, listen, I'm still a little bit upset about some things and we need to talk. Not because I still, I, I, I avoid dealing with trauma or the frustrations or I have some work that I need to do. But the fact that this is what God is inviting his people to is not just giving them back something that is similar to what they lost. But he's giving them something brand new that has all the best of what they had and more. And none of the junk that they attached it to. See, not only does he give them back a temple, but he tells them that what flows out of it will be more powerful and beautiful than what's in it, which allows them to hold the temple loosely. Not to be so dogmatic about what the temple means for their lives. Why? Because there's a river that flows out of it, and that's crazy impressive. Just keep walking a little bit. Look how it gets deeper. Look how it gets wider. Look how it gets stronger. Look how life pops up. I believe um, as we move into this summer of wonder, we're actually going to be spending the majority of it in the first four chapters of Acts where we get to see the river in action. So this river that is prophesied to the people of God and gives insight into what the person and the work of Jesus and and the work of the Holy Spirit will do across the earth that is spoken of here, we'll get to walk through it and see it in the first four chapters of Acts. And so here's the thing about God and his heart for his people. It was true for the people of God when Ezekiel spoke it. It was true for the world when Jesus showed it. And it's true for you and I now. The river is flowing. And yes, there has been loss. Yes, there has been difficulty. Yes, there has been trauma. Yes, there has been a lot of things. Yes, there has been division. Yes, there is craziness. Yes, half the time I don't know what's going on. Yes, I want to return to some semblance of normal. I want things to be back the way we were, they were. But he loves me too much. He loves you too much to just give you back something that was lost. He loves you enough to point you to the river. As he walks you through the navigation of 
returning to things that were lost. He's gracious like he was with Ezekiel to walk him and show him all of it. Look at the details and the workings of my hand for the restoration of what was lost. Now, 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 come here, come here, come here, come here. See this little stream that turns into a river that gets deeper and wider, that brings life everywhere? Let me show you this. Here's 1,500 yards, now, feet, now here's another 1,500. Let me show you the river. Let me show you my heart for you. Let me show you the future you have. Let me show you what I'm about for you and for the world. Let me show you the life that will spring up everywhere because of the river. You don't have to stay in the temple. You don't have to be anxious to preserve the temple. You don't, have, you don't even have to worry that the temple doesn't quite fulfill the needs you, that it used to fulfill for you. Because he's pointing us to the river. He's pointing us to the person and work of Jesus. He's pointing us to the power of the Holy Spirit that is advancing ahead of us. And he's saying, don't even worry about the tree. It's going gonna, it's gonna to grow around the river. The fruit will be in season always. The leaves will be healing. Life will happen everywhere the river goes. Life will flourish. For us as people, us as a church, as the global church, it's a season for us to pause. To hear the heart of God for us. To see the intricate designs that he has for the restoration of the temple. Whatever that signifies for you. Because it's all here. It means we get to pause and look at the order and the rules of life that we each are invited into that are personal and intimate for us. We get to order our lives again around a God that desperately loves us. And at the same time, without pressure, without threats, but with invitation, we get to see the river and follow its path. And watch how life springs up everywhere that it touches. Watch that as the farther I get away from what was, the deeper and the more powerful the river becomes. That the temple that represents this intimate relationship with a God and his people and an order for our lives doesn't lose its importance. It actually increases in significance because that's where the river starts. It doesn't end at the temple walls. It starts inside the sanctuary, inside the intimacy, inside the yes to a surrender to the presence of God and to the order of life he calls us into. It's a yes to that. And that's where it starts. And then everything after is incrementally better, deeper, stronger, wider, and full of life.
I, I desire this for my life. I desire it for us as a community. I believe that it's what God is doing right now. I think it's our decision whether we say yes. For me personally, it doesn't start by looking for the river outside the temple. For me personally, it looks a little bit like dealing with the aftermath once things have settled down to take account and say, okay, am I okay? And be, I'm not okay here, I'm not okay here, I'm not okay here. And then put my life in order. And some of you are in that space right now. You're putting your life in order. And I want to encourage you to do it. And, and I'm going to just share a little bit from a personal place. You know, pandemic is affected all of us differently. And I, I, if you see any of the staff, the volunteers, everything, just love on them and thank them. They've been tireless. The pastoral council have been tireless in navigating this. And it's not just our own anxieties, because we have those. It's all the anxiety. Saying, if I say this word, somebody's going to think this. And if I say this word, somebody... It's all of that, and wondering, what are we doing? What are we doing? And then there's moments where you show up on a Sunday, and you can't see anybody, because it's all through this little black camera here. And you go, is there still a church? How would I know if we don't have one anymore? Or if you're me, you're like, okay, I've been here this month. I think it is a couple days. It'll be three years. It's like, did I kill this thing already? I think the over-under was five years that, he, that Josh would kill this thing. Did he, did he beat the odds? And so you have to process it. You say, God, there's things that the consequences of isolation and separation and division and frustration and, and the lack of a temple, the way, the, the rules and order of my life that was around my community and around faith and shared conversations and meals together and crying together and celebrating together that has been lost. And I don't know how to process that. And so I need you to show me the beauty of the temple. I need to know that you are about the restoration of that for my life. I need to know that you have an order for me that I can walk in that will bring life to me, life to my community. But I need more than that, to be honest. I need the river. Danya and I were, sat down a couple weeks ago and we were talking. As the order goes, and we said, we realized, you know, we're probably not talking to each other anymore. We're talking at each other. I know you guys have, like, perfect marriages and relationships. Um, but we realize we're just talking at each other. Because there's, like, there's these just stresses everywhere. And we, as much as it might not seem this, we're different people. And we see the world differently. We have different ideas about things. And... We experience the world differently. We have different backgrounds and stories and things that influence the way we see the world. And it's like, we're just sort of talking at each other. It's like, this is not good. So how do we find a new order for our lives that will protect that? And so for us, what that meant is finding a counselor. Like, you know, somebody else. 
Because we, we did the whole let's figure this thing out together. That didn't go well. If you're already talking at each other and then you try to fix that by talking at each other, it doesn't work. And I tell you that because I, I think it's important in this season to be sensitive to what the order looks like. For some of you, that might be as simple as redefining what time in the presence of God looks like, creating space that is different than you've ever had to create for the presence of God and the transformation of his word. For some of you, it means you need to seek a third party to walk you through some of what has happened in the last year and a half. A counselor, a friend, a coach, a spiritual director. There's, there's places to go. So as we navigate this and realize that the river is what God's pointing to us, my invitation to you as a people is this, as a church is this, let's do the first thing first. Let's not be so eager to grab an inner tube and jump in the river that we don't do the first steps that God shows to Ezekiel, which is let's get some order. I'm excited about the river, but if I jump in now without the order being established, it's going to end poorly for everybody that's around me and for me. So as we go into worship again, I'm going to ask that you just, we, we take some time here and hear what God is saying as we prepare for communion. If you find yourself in a place where you're saying, you know, I could really use a counselor, and, and the reason I said no to that is because I don't know where to look or the finances are not there. Talk to me, please. Shoot, send me an email, josh at houstonvineyard.org. As a community, we want to walk this out together. Let's respond in worship, church. Let's come to our feet, worship once more in gratitude to Jesus this morning. In the crushing, in the pressing, you are making new wine. In the soil I now surrender, you are breaking new ground. And so I yield to you and to your careful hand. And when I trust you, I don't need to understand. So make me your vessel. Make me an offering, make me whatever you want me to be. God, I came here with nothing, but all you have given me, Jesus, bring new wine out of me. Oh, Jesus, bring new wine out of me where there's new wine because where there's new wine there is new power 
And there is no freedom, and the kingdom is here. I lay down my old flames to carry your new fire today. Where there is new wine, new wine, and there is new power, and there is new freedom, and the king. Is here. I lay down my old place to carry your new fire today. So make me your vessel, make me an offering, make me whatever you want me to be God I came here with nothing but all you have given me Jesus bring new wine out of me oh Jesus bring new wine out of me oh Jesus bring new wine out So this week, as you go about your lives, look up. See the temple that is being built. See the intricate, detailed plan of God for that. Look at the rule of life, the order that he's inviting, of you, inviting you into. And look for the river. Follow it. Everywhere it goes, it gets deeper and wider and better. And everywhere it goes, life sprouts up. And so as you do that, this is our prayer. May the living God, que el Dios vivo, creator of all the heavens and the earth, creador del cielo y de la tierra, may he richly bless you and keep you. Que él te bendiga y te guarde. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Que haga su rostro resplandecer sobre ti y te dé su gracia. May he smile on you and fill you with his peace. Que Dios mismo te sonría y te dé su paz. You have been and continue to be extravagantly loved by our Father. Ha sido siempre y sigue siendo hoy extravagantemente amado por tu Padre celestial. Go do the same. Ve y haz lo mismo. And if you guys need prayer today, you need